But we're gonna take a few minutes and study the scriptures together. So I want you to pray with me. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitsheno b'mitzvotav, v'sivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. We're reading this week from the story of the life of Joseph. And it's a fascinating story that tells us just how difficult it is to grow up in a family with a lot of brothers and how challenging it can be to recognize the good in each other and to have hearts of love. And this, I think this, uh, this protracted story, which we'll read over the course of several weeks, has a lot of ups and downs. There are a lot of shenanigans in it. And there's a little bit of serendipity too at the end. So it's, it's yet again more shenanigans and serendipity for the Jewish people. I love this word shenanigan. <laughs> it, it should be uh, more popular than it is, I think. Well, as I was reading this week, I was thinking about how we actually are so connected with each other, our lives are connected to each other, and that's the reason why we can rejoice with each other. When one person has a victory or a blessing, we can take that to heart and it can encourage us and we rejoice together with others. And it's also why we can grieve together, we can mourn together when someone else is uh, in sorrow. We can join together with them. And it's why we can receive comfort in our times of difficulty and then share that comfort with other people during their times of difficulty. The connections that we have are so powerful. But it's also why we can be so disappointed when other people take action against us or when we experience betrayal or people who we thought were close to us who seek to do us harm. Uh, this kind of pain can be even more intense than any other. And so it was with our ancestors. Uh, through their lives, we learn about ups and downs. And we learn their joys and their sorrows in family life and in community. And every year, during the season of Hanukkah, we read about the life of Joseph and the life of his brothers. And we see how Joseph was actually hated by his brothers. We're, we're taught slowly the story of the life of Joseph so that we understand that things develop in his life and that change takes time. Rabbi Uri had a great message last week about handling crisis and facing crisis with the Lord, not as a rabbit and not as an ostrich, not running away and not bearing your head, but grabbing hold of the Lord and holding on to him during times of crisis and finding your hope in him and your strength in him. And that theme continues. There's a temptation, as Rabbi Yuri said last week, um, to think that you can just get over it very quickly. Let's just turn the page. Because when we're reading in the scriptures these stories, sometimes 
we already know the outcome because we're familiar with the story. Or when we're reading, we may think, oh, I'm just gonna turn the page, and we can project that onto our lives. Have you ever been in a situation that just went on so long you, w you wanted to turn the page? And you thought, I should just be able to turn the page. It didn't take that long to read about the victory that Joseph had. It shouldn't take any longer for me. However, it's important to remember that the scriptures may take only a few words or a few sentences to describe things that take place over a course of years. So keep in mind this, the, the teaching in Torah about Joseph is actually well-crafted. It ends at certain points each week where things are not resolved, where things are still difficult. And if you don't pay attention to that, you won't learn this lesson that you will also go through such times and that God can be with you during such times when you're waiting for the conclusion, you're waiting for a breakthrough. Well, Joseph's brothers saw him as a threat to their well-being and their future. They hated him, they hated his dreams, and they mixed their hatred with hubris and with arrogance. And not only that, their hatred actually stirred up murder in them. They actually planned at one point to kill Joseph, and then they thought, well, he's our brother, we shouldn't kill him, we'll just sell him into slavery. Because he's kin, you know. <laughs> well, they lied to their father, they allowed their father to think that Joseph had been mauled by a wild animal. And when I was thinking about these brothers, I thought about Stalin. And the way Stalin thought about people who make trouble. He had a saying, no man, no problem. The New York Times put it this way, murder was Stalin's way of resolving difficulties. Death solves all problems, he's quoted as saying, no man, no problem. You see, if you got a problem and it's coming from a man, what do you do? You kill him. Exactly, you get rid of the man and thus you get rid of the problem. Well, it turns out that Joseph's brothers predated Stalin <laughs> and got a head start on Stalin. Actually, when they got rid of Joseph, they thought their future was secure. They had no idea. They couldn't have imagined how God would work over the years and what the future would hold for all of them. You could really say that the brothers were clueless. Clueless, don't you think? They were clueless about how they needed Joseph and about his role in their lives. When I was thinking about that fact, I was thinking, wow, it's sort of like that for us Messianic Jews today. That we've got some brothers who would be happy to be rid of us. Because they're clueless about how they need us. And what the future holds in store for all of us together. So we all need to have open hearts to learn from Joseph so that we can apply it. Now I think one of the keys that Joseph discovered is you have to hold on to God, to be faithful to God. 
But there's another key that's sort of the mirror image of the same thing. It's we have to let God get hold of us and hold on to us when we can't hold on ourselves. There are times when we need to let his priorities take possession, if you will, of our priorities. And we need to subordinate our own dreams, our own vision, our own plans, our priorities, the ways we want things to work, subordinate them to him. We have to hold on to his purposes. And instead of nursing our wounds, we need to nurse God's purposes in our heart and give a place, a place that God's purposes can live and dwell where we can hold on to his purposes. God causes all things to work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Let's say his really loud. His purposes. His purposes, not our purposes. I want you to join me in looking at chapter 37 of Genesis today from Parshat Vayashev, this week's Torah reading. And by the way, you can find all of the scriptures that we're going to use, perhaps even more than we'll get to today, uh, at our, our new website, MessianicJewishTeachingsNow.com that supports our podcast and teaching ministries. And they also are on our Facebook pages as they have been, the Messianic Jewish Teachings Now, Beth Israel's Facebook page, my personal Facebook page. But there have been a number of people who have said, we don't use Facebook and we don't want to. Um, but they are internet savvy. So you can go to MessianicJewishTeachingsNow.com. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Once you go there, you can just bookmark it and keep going back. And you'll see all the scriptures that we're going to use today. So Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 2. When Joseph was 17 years old, he used to pasture the flock with his brothers, even though he was still a boy or a lad. Once when he was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now, I want you to pay attention to the few facts that are laid out in this passage because they're meant to, to catch our attention. They explain things that Joseph did that are connected to his brother's reactions. Now, his brothers are responsible for their hatred and for their murderous instincts as well. But there's a connection between what Joseph did, that's what the scripture is trying to make clear to us. And it's not that Joseph is to, to blame, he's not the victim who's responsible for the bad things his brothers did, but there is a connection. Often uh, people who get angry with us are the very people we like to irritate. And people who, uh, you know, we can, we can push their buttons and they can push our buttons. So it tells us that um, Joseph brought a bad report about these guys to their father. Verse three, now Israel loved Joseph 
the most of all his children because he was the son of his old age. And Israel made Joseph a long-sleeved robe of many colors, the type a prince would wear. You see, this had significance. This type of coat was usually given to the firstborn son who would be a prince among all sons and would be the heir apparent. To give it to the youngest one is really upsetting to all the older brothers. I mean, older brothers generally have a hard enough time with younger brothers. This just made it worse. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they began to hate Joseph. And they reached the point where they couldn't even talk with Joseph in a civil manner. Joseph had a dream, which he told his brothers. And that made them hate him all the more. So his brothers have no idea what role he really has in their lives. And in a sense, Joseph doesn't have a clear idea. They're, they're in some ways all clueless. Well, he said to them, listen while I tell you about this dream of mine. We were tying up bundles of wheat in the field when suddenly my bundle got up all by itself. It stood upright. And then your bundles came and they bowed down to mine. And his brothers retorted, oh yeah, you'll really be our king. You'll do a great job of bossing us around. That's how they saw him, that he was bossy. And they hated Joseph all the more, still more, for his dreams and for what he said. Now let's go forward to verse 18. Joseph's father had sent Joseph out to find his brothers and see how they were doing and to come back and let him know if they were doing a good job taking care of the sheep. Can you see where friction could come out of that yet again and again and again? Well, the brothers spotted Joseph far in the distance and before he had arrived where they were, they had already made a plot to kill him. They said to each other, look, this dreamer is coming, so come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these water cisterns here, and then we'll say some wild animal devoured him, and we'll see then what becomes of his dreams. This is real brotherly love, right? When Reuben heard this, he saved Joseph from being destroyed by them. He said, we shouldn't take his life. Don't shed his blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wild, but don't lay hands on him yourselves. So this is Reuben's intervention. And Reuben, it says, intended to rescue Joseph later from them and restore him to his father. So Reuben hears that they want to kill him. And he, he comes up with a, insufficient plan. Well, let's not kill them, boys. Let's just throw them in the well, and then we'll deal with them. And his idea is everybody's emotions are going to calm down. They're going to, this whole problem is going to blow over, but it doesn't. Verse 23, so it was when Joseph arrived to be with his brothers, they stripped off his robe, the long-sleeved robe he was wearing. They took him they threw him into the cistern. It was empty without any water in it. 
And then they sat down to eat their meal. That's, that's pretty callous. But as they looked up, they saw in front of them a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, their camels loaded with aromatic gum. Now here I'm following uh, David Stern's translation. Their camels loaded with aromatic gum, healing resin, and opium. So these are like drug mules. This is the Ishmaelite cartel moving product. And Joseph's crying out, build the wall. (laughs) I'm just joking. Well, they're on their way down to Egypt. Judah says to his brothers, what advantage advantage is it to us if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Do you see the advantage? We kill him, it's not a good idea. Money, let's get money for this good for nothing. But he puts it this way. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites instead of putting him to death with our own hands. After all, he is our brother. He's our flesh. (laughs) We shouldn't kill him. We should sell him out of brotherly concern. His brothers paid attention to Judah, so when the Midianites, the merchants, passed by, they drew and lifted Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him for half a pound of silver, shekels, to the Ishmaelites, who took Joseph on to Egypt. Then later, Reuben returned to the cistern, and upon seeing that Joseph was not in it, he tore his clothes in mourning. He returned to his brothers, and he said, the boy isn't there. Where can I go now? You see, Reuben had a plan. He thought that everything would just blow over. It didn't, it blew up. And Reuben made a terrible mistake. He he took inadequate measures against his own brothers. He had one opportunity to stand up to them and to correct them, and he didn't do it. He thought, okay, it'll calm down. I can do things easier at less risk to myself, perhaps. Well, that's how the story begins. Great story, isn't it? You know, if you ever think you got a heart in your family, this really provides a gross perspective about how hard it can be. But I think it's so important for us to go through the story and to remember something about how we want to live and how we want to react to life. Joseph, we're told, Though he was sold into slavery, though he was imprisoned unjustly, though he experienced all this rejection and injustice, he himself declared to other people that God was with him. And he lived his life not as a powerless victim, 
Not as someone whose future had been destroyed, but as someone who could make the most of today and could serve the Lord today where he was, regardless of the circumstance. He gives such a picture for us that is so useful. You don't have to be lost simply because you have been rejected. You're not lost simply because other people have betrayed you or disappointed you or done something against you. You're not lost simply because you can't find your way to fulfill your own plans and purposes. You're never lost if God is with you. And when you get a hold of God in the midst of your difficulty and you decide, I'm gonna serve the Lord no matter what. I'm gonna serve the Lord now. I'm not serving the Lord because everyone's nice to me. I'm not serving the Lord because I'm just a happy person. I'm serving the Lord because I love the Lord. I'm serving the Lord because he is good. I'm serving the Lord because no matter what's going on, I can depend on him. He will not abandon me. He will be with me. And I can serve the Lord because he can take me from this point of difficulty, however long it takes into the future to get to his destination for me. I'm not serving the Lord so that I can fulfill my dreams. I'm serving the Lord to fulfill his dreams. I'm not trying to be a self-actualized person according to Maslow's hierarchy. I'm trying to be a God-actualized person according to the scriptures. I'm alive because of him. Now Colossians has this great idea in it that really gives perspective. In Colossians chapter three, verse three, it says this, because you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God, because you've died. You see, because you can count your life as having already passed away. The life you used to live is that life that you now count as dead. The, the life of independence and the life of my dreams, my way, my thing, this is dead and by reckoning it dead, and saying to the Lord, you know what? It's dead, it's really dead. Then you discover that your life is hidden in Messiah. And so whatever he has for you can be perceived in a different way. Oh, by the way, in just a minute, a slide will come up saying, get your toddlers. Your life is hidden with Messiah. <laughs> the toddler nursery is now closed. Please go pick up your toddler at this time. Thank you. That's beautiful. I also like what Judah says, uh, the apostle, the disciple, also known as Jude. And it's not Judah, the brother of Joseph. In verse 24, now to the one who can keep you from falling and set you without defect and full of joy in the presence of his Shekhinah, to God alone, our deliverer, through Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord, be glory 
and majesty and power and authority before all time, now and forevermore. What a proclamation. The one who can keep you from falling, the one who can deliver you, the one who can put you in the presence of his Shekhinah. This is the one to give glory and honor to. But I'm so disappointed. Well, get over it. Count yourself dead. Let your dreams, your dreams, not his dreams, let your dreams die. Let his dreams be alive. Let his purposes take precedence over your own purposes. And when you get a hold of this, like Joseph got a hold of, then you have life with God and the presence of God sustains you. And the fellowship you have with God changes you. You can't make yourself just be positive enough and optimistic enough to sustain this kind of difficulty. But when you're with God, and God is not discouraged, and God is still hopeful, and God still has a plan, your fellowship with him changes you. It makes you become like him. Do you remember what happened to the prophet Samuel? He was so disappointed in Saul, and he was so disappointed in his role in laying hands on Saul, on Saul, and appointing him king at the direction of the Lord, that he was inconsolable. And the Lord came to him and said this, like, how long are you going to feel like this? I feel bad too. But we got to get on with it, and we've got to move forward anyway. Don't be lost, we learn. Don't be lost in the disappointment. Don't be lost in the struggle. There's something beyond that. And if, if you get a hold of God and hold on to him in the times of your difficulty, no matter how prolonged they may be, your fellowship with him will change you. That will do more for you than anything else can possibly do. Yeshua put it this way. We'll close with these thoughts from Mark chapter eight, starting in verse 34. Calling the crowd to him along with his disciples, Yeshua said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. They'll discover it. They'll get a hold of it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what can a man give in return for his soul? Yeshua knew something. If you find yourself in trouble and you try to save yourself, you'll lose yourself. If you're a follower of God, that's when you hold on to God and you let God hold on to you. And that's when you draw closer to him. And instead of wallowing in sorrow and allowing alienation and disappointment to rule over you, instead of allowing the pain of your suffering to be inconsolable, 
you are driven to serve God and to serve in any way that he says, no matter what it costs. Because in doing this and then in sharing good news with others, you change the world. Joseph learned it when in the midst of prison, he did the best job. And people said, how could you do it so well? He said, well, God is here with me. I'm fellowshipping with the Lord. He did this to the point that all the people around him, all the, the people who worshiped the gods of Egypt said, God, your God is with you. They saw it. They saw the reality. And you and I may be in a place where we've got to make some decisions. Are we going to serve the Lord where we are, as we are, and allow his goodness to become visible to other people, not to bring us glory, but to bring glory to him? And if we make that decision, you know what? Then the darkness that they had before Hanukkah will break forth in your life with the light they had at Hanukkah. And the light of Messiah will shine in you and shine from you to other people and you will overcome darkness with the light of Yeshua. And then you will have a Hanukkah victory. Who's in favor of Hanukkah victory? It seems so dark right before Hanukkah but it was just the beginning of the end of the darkness and the rising again of the light of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your victory over darkness. Thank you for Yeshua, our Messiah, the light of the world. Thank you for delivering us and sustaining us. Thank you we can count ourselves dead to all of our trespasses and all of the life we had before you, and we are alive in you now. And you are with us as you have been, as you are, and as you will be, and as you will be forever. Thank you, Lord, God of eternity. We love you, and we want to serve you. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? And if you're standing by yourself, just shuffle over to Buffalo a little bit. <laughs> the Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you with his Hanukkah light. And the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his shalom in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.